get it off the right way here. Ah, there we go. Now we'll see how the pour works out. While I'm doing that, Dan, what uh, what beer do you have today? This is my new um, cheapy beer of choice. Um, it used to be Hollandia, which is like ridiculously cheap in LCBO, but I found this other one called Kaiser, which is an Austrian beer, and it's uh, it's just like a you know a crap lager, but like as crap lagers go, it's quite good and it's a bargain. And I feel like you always have to have. I like to have a you know good quality selection of beer in my fridge, but I always like to have one or two. You know, bad ones when you just gotta get it down. You so I'm drinking Kaiser today. What are you drinking? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you might have heard of this one, Samuel Smiths. Oh yes, yeah. Out of the UK, uh, the Nut Brown Ale today. And considering what we're talking about today, I feel it's uh, appropriate. I'll tell you my Samuel Smith story in a second. I think I've done a good pour. The bottle's not empty because it's a big bottle. Oh, it's a lovely are. pour, Gav. Well done. Thank you. Um, uh, it's, you just mentioned quickly your Austrian beer. It made me think of one time, one camp I was in with Canada Soccer. We were in a small Austrian city called La, and then it's like La on der Thaya or something. I don't know. Anyway, they had a local brewery nearby, and their lager was really quite good. I had a lot of it. <laughs> um, anyway, so my Samuel Smith story. Um, if you've ever been, you know, if you've been to London, uh, but there's a famous pub uh, called Yield Cheshire Cheese. It's on Fleet Street. It's it's very central. Um, it's it's one of these great historic pubs where you know all these writers like Charles Dickens and Mark Twain and me <laughs> have drunk. Um, and it's it's this really cool pub. Is you can wind your way downstairs to all these little almost sort of cavernous rooms where you're almost. Uh, it's very Spartan down there. But Samuel Smith's the bottles themselves are quite nicely done up uh the beer is good and uh yeah yield cheshire cheese um they like they live in their history like they have this uh, african gray parrot which um is has apparently they've always had one since it first opened way back in you know 16 whatever um actually it was rebuilt after the great london fire in 1666 so anyway today's beer has a little history lesson as well um and uh Old and the new today of the iconic Wembley Stadium. I know we always said we'll do the smaller locations, but not a lot of people go to London to say, hey, I'm going out to Wembley. No, no, I do think it still has that kind of prestige and uniqueness because it's not like there's a game there every single week. And it's, uh, you know, obviously I run, you know, kind of like arrogantly refers to itself as the home of football uh, which I've actually come to use myself uh, you know in an kind of ironic way I you know Christie Pitts Park in uh, in Toronto is known as the home of baseball for me um, you've got the uh, over the road for me there's a couple of cricket pitches so that's the home of cricket and in, in, in my view the home of darts is the Owls Club which is just uh, is a legion just north of uh, Dover Court and Bloor so I have you know tended to take that on but yeah, I mean, you've done Wembley. I think you've done a new one. I mean, it, it does seem to have like a, a, a specialness to it. I think it's just because there's so many grand events there, so many big finals where, you know, these teams and sometimes smaller teams get these big day outs. And yeah, it does feel, it's not a particularly unique stadium inside for me, um, you know, the modern one, but it does seem to have something about it, a little bit of sparkle about it. 
Yeah, it's uh, that's what you just mentioned that. That's what I really like about it is that, you know, the EFA trophy or the FA vase or whatever those lower league tournaments are, uh, you have your final at Wembley and it's for a small club that doesn't ever really aspire to or dream of getting to the top level. It's it's their moment and it's a big day for uh, your community and your club and really the true kind of, you know, honest to goodness old-timey feel of of soccer of the game yeah yeah and it's and not even for the tiny teams i mean one um sunderland till i die um i don't know if you watch the series on netflix they um still not yet <laughs> they, they, they covered um you know a couple of their trips down to uh wembley and they did a really good job of one of their trips down because it's almost like you know, this is the only time that Sunderland can make their voices heard. So all these people went down from Sunderland, were you know, just drinking in the street. It didn't look like they're causing trouble. They're just having a good time singing about Sunderland. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to go to the big city, go to the big capital and have their voices heard. And I think it's, um, yeah, I think I think that's what makes it so special for me. Um, and you know, I've seen, you know, it been to both the old and the new. And um, out of the, how many teams would I have seen there? I've seen a few different teams there, um, but most of them have been small teams, and uh, and it's really really nice to uh, kind of see that day out. And uh, you've been to the old stadium. You've been lucky enough, uh, an iconic site which has held, you know, the the Live Aid concert, Freddie Freddie Mercury and Queen performing there. Um, you know, of course, all the the great soccer. The building itself was, you know, it's the two it's the two towers right outside the gates, is it not? Yeah, yeah, they kind of like almost look like they're perched on top of the kind of stadium roof, um, but like you know, they're kind of like little, you know, kind of ready rise above it a little bit. But it's it's not like they're particularly grand, you know. You could imagine like a Roman emperor back in the day using that as like an outdoor toilet or something like that. Like it's not particularly <laughs> great, but it does again have that kind of like you know steeped in tradition, steeped in the history, and you know, I suppose when. You know, they kind of knocked down the old one and brought in a new one. They had to get something really distinctive to let it, st- you know, make it stand out from afar. And um, I think they really hit the nail on the head with that big arch. Oh, yeah. The uh, the new one I've been to a few times. Once to a game, and then a couple of times just sort of hanging around outside. And uh, the first, once you get off the Wembley tube stop, um, at least the last time I was there, and you go out and you just see it. It's it's just right in the middle of your view. And then there's the walkway up to it. You go down the stairs, and then you just walk to it. It really captured the uh, the majesty of it, that there was something something quite big there. Yeah, I think they're doing a little bit of building work there in a the moment. I'm not quite sure what they're doing, but I think they're demolishing part of the walkway ramp and building some stairs there. So my one, I think you'll still be able to see the stadium as you're walking up and it'll still have that buzz about the place. But my concern is that one of the most satisfying things of doing that walk is when you get to Wembley Stadium, you turn around and look back down the way and look at all the fans walking up and look at all the colours. I hope they're not going to ruin that. I couldn't get my head around the plans quite, but it looks like they might ruin it. And I really, really hope that's not true. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's part of the majesty of it is that you as you approach you're you're feeling the anxiety and the excitement growing and then you look at behind and then you see everyone behind you. Plus there's all the the merchandise and the food options that are that are right there. Uh you went to the old one. What was what was your experience with the old Wembley Stadium? Well, it was when uh Man City were really really bad. Um so this was 
that's that's a big time frame dan so you know <laughs> you, you gotta narrow it down a little bit well this this is especially bad this was their one and only <laughs> season in the third tier of english football um you know at one point you know, just to kind of give you the idea of the standard we're at here um at one point city are in 12th place um i'd seen them that season lose at home to like oldham draw at home to stockport county um you know small teams that city would have hardly ever played before in their history and uh you know the the thing that kind of turned this season around for city and get put them in the playoffs and almost give them a shout of automatic promotion actually was city signed a player called Andy Morrison uh, around halfway through the season um just a few grand he cost from Huddersfield because um well Huddersfield wanted to get rid of him because he'd just gone into the manager's office and thrown the manager across the office because he wasn't very happy with him um <laughs> this bloke was a you know a center back um overweight um an alcoholic um he yeah plenty of brushes with the police um but he turned city around and in time turned his life around i saw him tweet today that he's been 22 years sober um because wow. because earlier in that season he did end up in a police station um they were considered taking his life and he turned his life around just a few few a couple of months before this game and um yeah, but but all in all, his impacts, you no, know, drunk or sober, he turned his team around and uh, City finished in third place, um, and ended up meeting uh, Gillingham in the final. Um, Gillingham, who were managed by Tony Pulis at the time, and um, I think uh, <laughs> I think he's worked at every club in in England, has he not? Yeah, it's not saying much, is it? Yeah, I I will dread the day <laughs> when he takes over Shrewsbury Town because it's probably coming. It's, I think I think City are just a little bit too high for him now, but Shrewsbury Town are going to get tarnished by that name sometime soon. Sorry, you were saying I interrupted you with a Tony Pulis joke, which will go over very well, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, so. My, like I you know, went to the games with uh, my, my dad and my sisters all the time uh, growing up, but my dad, you know, without thinking that City would be in a playoff final, organised like a local music festival down Boma Heath Cricket Club, which was the, uh, the the village we lived in. So we couldn't make it and his brothers couldn't make it. We could only get two tickets. So I ended up going with my stepbrother, Jake, and he's you know, about four or five years older than me. So he was kind of like my guardian for the day because I'd have been about, I don't know, uh, 10 years old, something like that. Um, so we went up, we got a bus uh, down from Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury had a pretty good supporters club at the time run by a bloke called Sian, who was a you know a, a proper punk, a huge Mohican, but a lovely bloke, a cracking bloke. And uh, yeah, we got the, got the bus down. There were, you know, obviously a lot of you know, fellas on there having plenty to drink. I remember we uh, joined the traffic going into London and these two giant fellas get you know get off the bus and just desperate for a wee by the side of the road while we're stuck in traffic and obviously the bus starts moving and like no joke any time they got a little bit close the traffic would move and the bus driver would have to just carry on moving along and these giant <laughs> fellas must have had to run about a mile and a half to keep up with the bus and they came on and they just absolutely drenched in sweat it was just wonderful i'm so glad i wasn't sitting by them for this game it was just a, a really, really funny way to start the day. Um, but then the, the the game itself, I mean, you know, to say that City went into, um, you know, certainly the end of the regular season in really good form. Um, they weren't that good this day. They were the better team, but they couldn't, they couldn't you know, carve out any clear-cut chances. It just wasn't happening for them. Um, and it turned out Gillingham, uh, Carlos Arba and Robert Taylor 
in the last 10 minutes both scored uh, for Gillingham. Um, so after 89 minutes, Gillingham were up. I think my um, my uncle on my mum's side of the family, I think he left the game early at this stage. I know a lot of people left the game early at this stage. And it was a disaster because I've talked to people around the club at the time, such as the chairman, and they said that you know City would have been in real, real financial trouble if this, if this, uh, if if they didn't go up and you know to the point where and if they didn't get promoted, they could stay down in the third tier for a long time. Um, but you know miracles happen in football, and uh, Kevin Horlock, uh, you know the the ball kind of squirted out to him at the edge of the box, and he kind of bash one and it seemed to like I don't know like it was almost like skipped along the ground like when you skim a stone off the water it was uh, it was lovely um, but then still you know City had one goal down um, the Zealingham fans are still celebrating um, you know when I watch these the, these clips back the commentary are saying how it's you know game over and stuff but you know in the, in the 95th minute you know the ball kind of comes to Paul Dickoff um, former Arsenal Academy graduate former as, as, Arsenal yeah, man. as you well know um, and he smashed the ball into the roof of the net, past the best man at his wedding, Vince Bartram, another former Arsenal man. And uh, yeah, all hell broke loose. Um, so it was obviously into extra time, but it was the first time in my life that I ever crowd surfed because, you know, I was to 10 years old, just like a chubby little kid and all these excitable big city fans around me, I suddenly get picked up and I'm crowd surfing at the old Wembley. It was uh, certainly a memorable time. How many people were there for it? I mean, it's two small clubs. I mean, I wouldn't imagine it would be at capacity, would it? <laughs> One small club, more like. Um, it, <laughs> I, I, I think I think City actually sold out their allocation. I don't I don't know if Gillingham managed to do that. I think that would be asking a bit much. But I think they had a, you know, a really good crack at it because not only was it um, you know a final and an opportunity to get to you know a higher level, it was also you know a game against the the the, the league's biggest team because after City, I. It was probably Stoke City, so they weren't, you know, like we've seen in the last few years when we've seen Sunderland down there. It seems like that. It wasn't like that at the time. So City were the big giants of the league. So, um, yeah. So it went to extra time, uh, which was uh, just extremely nervous and a very, very scrappy half an hour of football. And uh, extra time was crap, you say? How were the penalties? Um, yeah. So the big thing that happened here, the big, big, you know. There's not enough attention on how important this is. Coin toss happens, City win it, and yes, they're taking the penalties at City's end. Um, so, you know, it, the, the whistling, the booing when Gillingham players were taking the penalties was huge. Um, their penalties were in, on the whole rubbish. I remember one being blazed ride. Um, and the poor Dickoff, the hero for City, somehow managed to hit both posts with his penalty and it rolled out. But otherwise, City's penalties were really, really good. Nicky Weaver, uh, the goalkeeper, who will always be my favourite City keeper. Uh, just such a, <laughs> such a character. You know, really kind of like um, when it was a quiet... You know, I think somebody once threw a cigar at him, he popped it in his mouth. Uh, you know, he just, uh, he'd always be having a joke with the fans, trying to get them to start songs if it's a quiet game. And he he saved the uh, you know made a decisive save and he went on this crazy run around where he you know, jumped over the sponsorship hoardings. Guy Butters must score. He doesn't. He's missed. It's saved by Nicky Weaver and Manchester City are back 
in the first division. That is quite an astonishing game. Round around the great gap that was behind the goal and the fans there ran back over the sponsorship hoardings. Like it was just just like a you know a buzzing bee all around the pitch. He's a quick lad. And no one could catch him apart from, <laughs> of course, the heaviest man in the team, Andy Morrison, got him, got on top of him, and it was like a huge pile on. And you can see it in the, uh, if you get on YouTube, you can see it. The camera goes over the top of the pile on, onto Weaver's face, and you can just tell the bloke can't breathe. And I spoke to him since, and like, <laughs> I, I spoke to him about this, and he just says, yeah, I, I thought I was going to die. Like, I was just like, I was just like, get off me, you bastards, get off me, you bastards. And he just like could not breathe and... Yeah, it was um, a really incredible game just for the, the drama, but also undoubtedly the most important game in the history of City because if they didn't get promoted then, they could have been in the third tier for a long time. And, you know, this, this money that came in and everything, you know, Guerrero moment and stuff like that would have never happened. Um, so they would never have gotten the petro dollars to uh, turn them into a world power. Exactly, and to be honest, I preferred it when City were shit. So, <laughs> so um, but, but yeah, there, there's something there's something noble about a small plucky lost cause that uh, will never have people turn against you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you no, know, at the time, especially in the '90s, City were almost like everyone's second club because they were a big team that had won in Europe that had. You know, won titles that have had you know really entertaining players like Colin Bell and Paul Lake in the past, and but they were kind of like they always managed to mess things up, so they're kind of like <laughs> the uh, the lovable you know wayward sibling, and also they were extremely popular because of the whole you know association with Oasis as well at the time, where you know Oasis seems to be in Man City shirts for the photo shoots all the time with brother on the front, um, so City were like you know everyone's second favorite team and. I kind of liked that. I kind of liked um, you know, being the, the only one at school who supported City while everyone else supported United or Liverpool. Um, it was pretty cool. I'm pretty sure I brought it up before. There's only one Jimmy Grimble. Sort of made me a, a, gave me a soft spot for Man City years ago. That sky blue IDOS kit was one of the best ones ever. Oh, that was a, that was a cracking kit. I've actually got one. I got that here in my walk-in closet signed by the whole team. Because I used to have, wow, I, I, I used to hang out outside the uh, main road, the old ground, and like the players were like, you know, some of them were just driving little, you know, Peugeot three hundred sixes and stuff like that, and <laughs> it was great because these these fellas were my heroes, um, and you could I I just hang out there with the local kids, uh, while my dad and you know his brothers were in the pub and just meet all the players, and some of them just stay out there, you know, like Nicky Weaver I mentioned before, Sean Goes especially, some of these players Feed just the stay, yeah, well, my favorite all time player. Um, they just stay outside for up to an hour, just talking to you know me and all the local kids, and it was a really, really special time to support the club. For more on Sean Goder, listen to our episode on Bermuda. <laughs> nice link, Gav. Nice link. Yes, <laughs> and, and and I've actually got a little link as well. I mentioned Oasis before, and the second time and last time I went to the old Wembley was actually go to an Oasis gig. It was uh, my first gig I ever went to. Um, it was Happy Mondays were actually a support band, uh, so it was a pretty stacked lineup. Um, it was the first time I'd seen people taking hard drugs. Uh, just in the <laughs> in the crowd, I saw one guy neck a load of pills and his mate belting one, saying, "Why'd you eat them all?" Um, and then the oh, Jesus. and uh, Liam Gallagher was you know being his charmless self as usual. At one point, he refused to start start a new song until a few people got their boobs out on the big screen. Um, and uh, him and Noel... How old were you? I was, I'd have been, again, about 10 years old. 
And, uh, oh, and, good. <laughs> you know. and, uh, and it corrupted you to this day, of, and it shows. Of course, of course. Uh, and yeah, Liam and Noel were breaking point as they often are, and uh, you know, just just falling out over stuff and bickering. Do they still hate each other? Yeah, well, Oasis aren't together right now, and I think um, Liam's been talking up and you know, kind of getting on board when fans have been trying to make it happen, but Noel doesn't seem to be interested. <laughs> very very strange have you had you gone to the new uh since they redid it all and remember they had the fa cups and everything at millennium stadium while they were doing it have you been into the new one yet yeah so the new wembley i've i've done it twice I, well t- tell me about when you have you been to a game at new wembley or have you yes um we'll, we'll jump over to mine i've been to two outside and when i was um i was doing some traveling around my sister was getting married and I'd left my first reporting gig in Fort St. John, British Columbia, and was just sort of essentially doing this uh, almost not quite round the world. I mean, I'd stopped at a few spots around just doing a bit of extended travel, very abbreviated. And I was in London for the FA Cup final in 2011. And it was Stoke City against Manchester City. Um, And I remember uh, the Stoke City fans, their chant was something like, we'll win it one time, we'll win it one time, Stoke City will win it one time. Um, And that was when they had, you know, Mr. Hooth, there it is, Robert Hooth. But of course, you know, City won on that day. So I just wanted to go check out the atmosphere. So I took the the train out, um, uh, the London Underground and... um, you know, I got off and I walked up and down the laneway, um, you know, got some food, soaked in the atmosphere a little bit. And then closer to game time, I just, you know, took the uh, the train back. And then not long after, my sister, part of the, the big reason why I, I did this travel is my sister was getting married in a, a place called Saint-Emilion, which is close to Bordeaux in France. And uh, they're sort of rivals when it comes to their wine production. And so we, you know, I did that. And then I actually went back to uh, London after to, to eventually fly back to Canada. Um, after a few, we after my sister got married, we did some you know sort of a family stay in a, a village called Sarlat in France, which is a great, I mean, lovely place. I could go in depth in that if they had a soccer team. <laughs> anyway, so and then I went back, and that was the year there was the Champions League final at Wembley, and uh, United was playing. I think it was United against Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, and Barcelona so battered them for the, like this second time exactly, in three yeah. years. So yeah, again, it was just just to soak it all in. Walk up and down the the uh, the walkway up to Wembley, um, and then and then go back again, and then finally I went inside. Um, 2013. It was my very first camp with uh, with Canada Soccer. I literally arrived that day. Uh, it was when Canada was playing Australia uh, at Craven Cottage, and the day I arrive, drop my bags off, go to training. I think I went to training anyway. And then that night, that evening, we had somehow landed tickets to the game, and so we take the bus in. But we had some time to kill. So again, I just sort of poked around again. I think I got myself something to eat. But I was so massively jet lagged that I think I found my way into like a public library nearby. Then had these, it was big and it had kind of these big staircase kind of seating. And I fell asleep like right out. 
Um, <laughs> and I wake up and I was worried that, you know, in the confusion of everything, I was worried that I'd slept right through it, missed the game, missed the bus back. And, you know, and then I sort of checked my phone and it was, you know, fortunately it wasn't that bad. I still had plenty of time. And, uh, but then I, like, I've had my ACL done. And so rolling down these, this big sort of, you know, staircase thing, I, I landed on my leg and it twisted and I was just like, oh no, <laughs> this is just going from bad to worse. Anyway, fortunately, long story short, I get in and it's fine. Um, it was England Montenegro and it was the international debut of one Andros Townsend. Oh, he, uh, he was, um, I remember when he was real hot stuff for England for a bit. They, yeah, they, they were excited he, he was he, the future for England. He was impressive. He, he turned a pace like nobody else. And, uh, yeah, I think England won like 4-1. I think now he's off at Crystal Palace somewhere. Um, and anyway, so we got in through someone knowing someone, and we got these tickets, and we went in the VIP entrance, uh, the whole Canadian team and staff and everything. I don't think we were all, like, kitted up in our Canada stuff, which would have looked weird. Um, but, uh, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm still bleary eyed and I have a pretty good recall, but even then, like I was still fuzzy, hazy, all of this. And, and I'm like, no, oh, there's, there's Jose Mourinho. Oh, there's Ivan Gazidis, who was the then, you know, big mucky muck with Arsenal. I think he's with AC Milan now. Yeah. Yes, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just sort of like, you're standing there and it's like, what, like, what is going on? I had just landed, and here I am, you know, these big names in, in world soccer. And I was just kind of like, okay, this is, uh, this is kind of surreal. But, yeah, England went on to win. I think it was 4-1. Uh, I don't think England scored until the second half, but they were by far the better team. Uh, one was an own goal. Townsend got one. And, uh, yeah, we were quite low down. It wasn't at capacity. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure Wembley Stadium with 80, whatever, 80, 90,000 fans is quite impressive. Um, but I'll still say to this day, San Pedro Sula in Honduras is the most intense soccer atmosphere I've been in. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was for my very first Canada soccer camp going to this England game, um, at Wembley, uh, in a, you know, a world cup qualifier for 2014 was, was, uh, quite the experience. I don't remember much about the stadium. Uh, I think we went right to our seats, um, uh, inside it's kind of generic, you know, it's a stadium, but yeah, outside, when you walk up to it and you see that arch, that's, uh, you know where you are, and it's one of one of many many landmarks in London, as you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's a real breathtaking addition. I've actually never seen England play. Um, I've, no, I've never been an England fan, really, uh, just because a lot of their, a lot. Of <laughs> I know you you don't seem to like you sort of seem to be a self hating Englishman. Well, it's just because a lot of England fans are knobs. Um, so <laughs> it's just true. Like they'll just look at how they go to places like Porto and just like dominate squares and just like get the bellies out and sing racist chants like it's I don't want to be associated with that I mean I've been and I, you mentioned the bellies out they also wear the shirts that are too tight for those bellies yeah yeah it's just vile <laughs> um so yeah I've seen Canada play I've seen Hungary play and probably a couple of us I can't remember off the top of my head but England have never interested me um but one thing one thing I do want to say is from that one of the first one of the first uh Wembley trips I made when I was just sort of walking around is there were people handing out 
you know, pamphlets for they were against the Wembley catering because they were using halal meat. And this was like a sign of creeping Islamization oh. of English culture. Yeah. And I, 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 I cannot guarantee this scientifically, but I'm guessing they voted yes on Brexit. I think that's a safe bet. Oh, God. <laughs> God's sake. I... But, uh, yeah, they were handing it out, and I just sort of went, oh, oh, okay, if you're afraid of that, then all power to you. Yeah, it was like the creeping Islamization of the UK. And it was like, okay, I, it tastes like meat to me, and I can live with that. Anyway. <laughs> no, no, that, God, that is, yeah, there you go. That's another reason why I'm a self-loathing Englishman. Um, yeah, I've, I've been to New Wembley twice. Um, the first time I went, um, I saw Gillingham again. Um, but this was to play Shrewsbury Town, my hometown club. Right. Is that the Dunfield year? Dunfield v. Uh, Simeon Jackson? Yeah, Dunfield. I don't think Dunfield played. I think he might have been injured. Um, but he was the, uh, you know, one of the... Shrewsbury played a lot, you know, a lot of money for him. Um, you know, he kind of got a bad rap for that, actually. He kind of got a lot of stick. You know, it wasn't him who decided to transfer fee, but it was quite a lot for, you know, a League 2 team. Uh, but it was a League 2 playoff final. Um, it was... It was like it came after you know I think there's a lot of optimism among Shrewsbury fans probably a lot of misplaced optimism because the semi-final second leg was phenomenal. Um, I went away to Bury with a few friends. I actually um, they travelled up. I stayed in my grand's armchair the night before because she lives like she lived like fifteen minute walk away, um, and it was incredible that game. It was uh, Shrewsbury one 0 down from the first leg. A last-minute equaliser to take extra time by Kevin McIntyre. Um, Shrewsbury get a player sent off at the start of extra time. And after making so many saves during normal time, um, you know, Luke Daniels, the goalkeeper, who's subkeeper at Brentford nowadays, um, he made save after save after save. It's the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen live. Like It was incredible. I watched the game. The game is in full on YouTube, and I watched it. And, like, it was such a bad game for, like, about 70 minutes of reflection. But, like, the rest of it was amazing. And um, and then the penalty shootout was in front of the Shrewsbury fans. I mentioned how important that is before. Holding myself single-handedly responsible for putting off the uh, Berry goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, Shrewsbury won on penalties. And there's a lot of optimism going into, going into this final. But you know, it was awful. It was a really, really bad game. Very, very cagey. Um, even the you know, Shrewsbury having the brilliance of Grant Holt couldn't make the difference. Um, but then, you know, late in the game, um, I think it was an added time, Simeon Jackson, uh, you know, scores a header uh, from a corner. Um, yeah, my mate Jack was inconsolable. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was horrible. But then I think I talked about this maybe on one of our earliest episodes of when we were talking about North London. That no, was it North London? Yeah, when we were talking about North London and. Um, it kind of created this kind of like party atmosphere when me and my mates went to go and watch Shrewsbury away. And that was what started it because we went with this guy called Home James who drove us. He was an absolute madman. Um, and it kind of created that kind of you know, camaraderie. And we, we went to a lot of Shrewsbury away games after that. So, you know, a disappointing result. Um, but, you know, it created a lot of fun times for me and my friends. Um, but the second time I went was um, a lot different. Uh, 2011. FA Cup semi-final, so a few weeks before you were there, Gav, um, outside the, oh, yeah. uh, the final itself. It was a lot. La- we didn't know each other then, I don't believe. No, no, we would we, we would have got to know each other maybe around, prob- I, I guess like around October that year, maybe. Yeah, and and um, yeah, it was the last game I went to before I flew out to Canada. 
2011. So, um, you know, it, it was City versus United. Um, so, I, it's the most nervous I've been through a game in my life. Um, I'd never seen that many police in my life. Um, I went with my dad and my two uncles. Um, it was, yeah, it was a real tight game, nervy game. I mean, I think the City fans kind of thought they got the team the advantage before because they, when they were reading out the, the lineups for both teams, when it was the United lineup, all the City fans turned around and did the Poznan, which was that thing when they turned it back to the action and bounced up and down. And I, it, I remember when Arsenal played a game against City and then the Arsenal fans did the Poznan to, uh, to mock the City players <laughs> after <laughs> Arsenal scored. No, it, it, was a, it was a really, really good way to like kind of detract attention from United's big lineup announcement. And City fans were like, OK, we got them here, we got them. And um, but Berbatov wasted like a couple of really really easy chances for United very early on, and United started well. City kind of got into the game a little bit more. Vincent Company was absolutely colossal at centre back, um, almost scored as well. Um, but it was a uh, an uncharacteristic error from Michael Carrick giving the ball away in midfield. Yaya Torre pounced on it, took it forward a little bit, and then just put it between De Gea's legs. And uh, yeah, as you'd expect, pandemonium. Um, to you know, Manchester derbies um, is you know, especially when I was going to games. I I I wouldn't be able to sleep properly for a week, and this one was <laughs> like more intense than that. So to win that and also have the kind of like extra amusement of poor skulls getting sent off late on was uh, a really 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 special game. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was in uh, Toronto for the final, and. Uh, Sadly, I didn't know about the Man City Supporters Club at Opera Bob's by then, so I watched uh, City win the FA Cup in the Football Factory. Would, would you like to do some product placement for Opera Bob's? Well, I'd just say that Opera Bob's is... Um, I, I really... You know, City was my life when I moved over to Canada. Um, and the importance of that pub for me is mad because it, it filled that city hole because I, I made loads of friends there. Um, I met my girlfriend, who is now my long-time term girlfriend and pregnant with my second kid. Um, I formed a band called the Sabbabees, named after city legend Mike Sabbabee. I've met so many like lifelong friends there, and that was a city void in my life. So, Opera Bob's, go and visit it and uh, have a drink. Has David De Gea really been there at United that long? Yeah, I'm sure it was De Gea in goal. Maybe it was Van der Sar. Okay. I don't know. It just I thought Dave De Gea was more recent. But I think, I think De Gea has been there since at least 2013. It could have been Van der Sar. Well, yeah, well, there you go, because it would have been 2011 that uh, that I was there. God knows who it was. I thought. Yeah, because it was 2011 I was there for that the FA Cup final day against Stoke. Um, it was 2013 that I was there for England-Montenegro, but you were in Toronto by then. so. Actually, it says, um, oh, hang on. It says that De Gea... On the ever reliable Wikipedia, joined United in two thousand and eleven. Wow, but that's t- ten years ago. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, time flies. But but he didn't make Crazy. his first appearance for the club until about a month or two after that FA Cup semi final. So it must have. I don't know who it would have been. Like, would it have been Van der Sar? Was he there for that long? I think it would have been. Must have been. Yeah, it would have been Van der Sar. We're solving this. We're figuring this out live. Yeah. Um, as we as we do that, you mentioned uh, how much Terry Dunfield cost. Um, who was it? Shrewsbury. Yeah. Uh, yeah. His last year was 2011. Edwin Vanderzar. 
Must have been. Um, anyway, when I first started covering the Canadian team, it was actually that 2011 year. I went to Toronto, and then I covered the Gold Cup that year, and that was Dunfield's, uh, you know, sort of first Gold Cup with Canada. And, you know, sort of getting his story from being this Man City you know, potential player to disappearing, essentially. And, it, and the story that he tells me is that, you know, he, he was loaned out to Bury Town, um, and then he came back after playing there fully, like, full of confidence of himself. Um, and then he says to Kevin Keegan, of, you know, who's coaching at the time, either you play me or I'm going off to Bury. And so he went off to Bury. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, uh, he, he'd he be the first to admit he was far too cocky. Really, really uh, cocky. Um, and, you know, he was also, and, and I think he'd be the first to admit it, you know, Terry, Terry liked having a good time. Um, be- before before he probably earned the right to have a good time. Um, he was... he was <laughs> One game, he played one game he, for Man City in his career. He was the biggest prospect in the City Academy at the time. And this, and this was when he was um, big mates with Sean Wright Phillips in the academy, but there was more excitement around Terry Dunfield than was Wright Phillips. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, but, uh, and, and now he's back here. He had a good career, very nice guy. Uh, always happy to see him. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, and I hope our paths cross soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cracking fella, very good fella. Have we, have, we, um, yeah. have we wrapped up Wembley just like that? I don't know. What do you think? What have I missed? Uh, food... Creeping Islamitization, the three games I've been to, the one in person. Uh, I think that's it for me. What have I missed? No, I don't think we missed anything. It's just, it just, it just, no, we just repeated. It has the magic. The walkway is wonderful. Um, try and go and see a smaller team there. Yes, I'd love to go see like a, an EFL Cup final or something. I did think one thing do statistics carry over? Like, when people talk about Yankee Stadium in New York, they always talk about the new stadium and the old stadium like it's the same stadium, despite the fact that they are not in the same place and they are not the same stadium. Does someone who say, like, oh, is this the quickest hat-trick in Wembley history, do they include the old stadium? Because if they do, that's horseshit. They include the old stadium. They would only uh, they'd they'd specify New Wembley if it was just so. So you walk into New Wembley and go, ah, yes, when Queen played here at Live Aid. No, they didn't. Yeah, well, that's. I wonder if they're going to do that for um, for Tottenham because Tottenham technically about half half a quarter of their new stadium is on where White Hart Lane was. Well, they won't. They don't win any trophies at either place, so it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> oh, but you, know, you can't like. I mean, you can't walk into a building and go, "Ah, yes, it was in this house that I now live in." That you know, I can't think of any historic equivalent. But you can't anyway. You can't say that. It's a different facility. No, they they do it. They do it. And yeah, it's exactly the same situation as the Yankee Stadium. Yeah, and I mean, literally, Yankee Stadium is next to where the old Yankee Stadium was. And it's just bizarre because it has the same name. They, they like you know, Safeco Field in Seattle is right next door to where the Kingdom used to be, where the Mariners used to play. And they don't count things the same. It's not anyway. That's my rant for the day. No, I, I can understand that. It doesn't make much sense. I think they just try and say it's Wembley because it's on exactly the same ground. But that's a very um... I don't know, old-fashioned way of looking at it, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, this is where this person drove their stake in the 1800s, so, yeah, this is the same piece of land, uh, bollocks. It's a different ground. Yeah, it's it's a whole new facility. It's Wembley 2, not Wembley 1. It's a different 
different thing. Yes, I agree. I agree, Gav. That that's a that's a nice little rant. I think so, and that's how uh, that's how I, one thing I wanted to get in today was that because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has that wrapped it up now? Are you happy now? Yeah, I like ending on a rant. That's quite nice. Just leave that hang, leave go. that hanging in the air a little bit. Yes. Um, Dan, any final thoughts? Any final words as we move on to whatever we go next, wherever we go next? No, I, 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 um, I would say I've, I've been thinking about uh, doing away days quite a bit recently. I'm missing it terribly. So I'm really looking forward to getting traveling again so when we can actually... You know, talk about fresh experiences on this podcast when we come back from trips. But um, no, I I hope uh, I know we've been discussing. Hopefully, we'll get a, you know another quality guest on soon, um, and maybe go somewhere a little bit more exotic than Wembley. That would be nice. Um, yes, um, as as potential for gold cups and world cup qualifyings happen, um, I'm sort of feeling that pull towards going out again. But I guess that's not up to us. But as always, Dan, thank you very much. Good chat. That was another yet another good one. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Thanks a lot, Gav. And thanks a lot to you at home for listening. Until next time, he's Dan. I'm Gavin. Talk to you later, folks.